You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. You did not know who Pastor Andy Greenfield is. He is one of our elders at the church. He helps to lead our village uh, community. But he is also right now in, um, he's doing a lot of different things at the same time. He's also preparing to plant a church, a new church um, in our city next year, a new village church. So I wanted to give him a moment just to share uh, briefly, give an update just for, so we can be aware as a community of some of the things going on. And obviously I want to give uh, some ways for us to be personally involved. So yeah, well, give us an yeah, update. So, um some things that are that are going on with the church plant. Uh, so we're planting another village church uh, in the Greenmount West, Station North, kind of Arts District area. Um, we're going to start having a few different uh, meetings. Uh, normally call them like an info meeting or something like that. I'd really like for you to think about them more as like a calling meeting. Uh, we should all be thinking about what does it look like for us to go and to make disciples. Uh, is this the specific time and moment for you to actually step out in faith to to do that as a part of a church plant is what we'll be exploring. So what that looks like for you, what would that look like for the community that we're endeavoring to uh, become a part of. Uh, and then also um, we'll be doing regular uh team gatherings, just social events to be able to uh, come together and, and begin to build relationship with each other in that way. Uh, but if there was one thing that I could ask of every single one of you, it would be for prayer support. Um, we, uh, we want to bring the kingdom of God to places that do not have it, uh, but we want to bring it on our knees. And so uh, if you would be praying for the church plant, that would be the number one most important thing that you could ever do. Um, so we, we want you to know um, our, our strategies at church is our hope is not to do like a mega building project and we want to grow as big as we possibly can here. I mean, growth is great, but the way we view it is if, if we're growing to a certain point, that's God's affirmation to us. We want to send out churches. We want to send out different churches in this city and beyond um, and just you just get to the basics, the best way that we've seen and that others have attested to that more new people come to know who Jesus is, is through new churches being started. That's why we do it. This is not a franchising scheme. This is not for us to brand our name, any of that. We want more people to know what you've experienced. Um, so here's, the, here's what it means for you here. Uh, Pastor Andy's preparing. He and his family, a lovely family, they just had a new baby uh, last month. Just crazy good stuff going on in his life. Also a new church he's been praying for. This is not meant to be, yay, yay, Pastor Andy, you go do it. <laughs> Great job. Follow. This is going to be a communal effort. Yeah. Um, and for some of you, you are going to be very much involved. But as he said, pray. Ask him to get on his prayer list specifically so you can receive particular specific updates Talk to him. How can I help support? Along with what I give to the church, which is what you should be doing, how can I also help to financially support as I would a missionary? And that's the way we view it. And, and here's the thing, which is, and I'm going to put this in front of you, and we're going to talk about this a lot. Um, I'm going to ask some of you to consider going with the new church. It's going to be in our city. So you don't have excuse saying, oh, I can't move somewhere. You don't have to move. It's going to be in our own city. It's going to be another village church. And here's the thing. Some of you, you might already know, hey, I want to go with this thing. Hopefully it's not like, man, I've been waiting for a reason to leave. So uh, hopefully it's not that. But it's like, I feel this call, so I want to go. But for some of you, you might not be fully there. What I'm going to ask you to pray about is committing to is either a 6, 
12 or 18 month commitment, like almost like a mission trip to say, hey, how can I go and help get this thing started? I'm not sure if I'm going to walk with this beyond that, but how can I go? Because that is critical and essential for a new church, even to have a team of people who are helping to get it moving and started. So does that make sense? You're going to hear a lot about this. So I want you to be thinking about praying about it. I love this man. I love this man and his family. Uh, we wouldn't be putting him before you as a new village church if we didn't. So we want to be walking together in this exciting journey of seeing more people come to know Jesus. So why don't you come here? I want to pray for you. Can you just extend a hand as if you're up here with me and as we pray for Pastor Andy? Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our brother's life. As he leads so faithfully here at this church, we thank you for the call you've given him to make your name known to as many people as who do not know you, especially, Lord, in our city here. So we pray for Pastor Andy and Rhonda and their precious little ones that you are continuing to cover them in your grace. Give them everything that they need to follow this call. We pray for our church, Lord, that you would allow us to be a church that's not just looking at a few people and cheering from afar, but Lord, we're asking how can we be involved in our prayers and in our giving and even in our hands and serving, Lord. So would you raise up, God? We are praying very specifically. We would, we would love at even 25 people from this church to commit to go, Lord. So maybe some of those are right here in this room stirring. Stir their hearts, Lord, to follow you as an extension of what you've already done in good ways here at the village in Hamden. We want to see that throughout the city for your glory. So we love you. We thank you, and as right now as we prepare to hear the word, Lord, prepare our hearts to hear from you through our pastor here. So we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I want to give one word. Um, one of the reasons, I love preaching. Uh, some of you might tell, right? You're like, yeah, you, you really love, and you like stay up there really sometimes as well. I, I love this, um, but we purposely, we want to put different people, especially those who are preparing to start churches in front of you to preach Um, because the reality is to start a new church, you have to be as uh, proficient and um, have experience in preaching. And there's no better way to do that than actually preaching. So we put him before you and we want you to work together with, um, with people like Pastor Andy and others who would preach. Um, one of the best things you can do is after the sermon, encourage him. You don't have to give him critique. I'll do that stuff, right? You give like the positive, let him know, hey, this is one way the Lord spoke to me through the sermon today. Thank you so much. Because to a new preacher, that is huge. And it's helpful. Yeah, don't, don't blast him with, here, here's what five things you need to do to improve. You don't need to do, I'll, I'll take care of that stuff. But bless him, encourage him as we walk together. Amen? Thank you. Uh, well, again, welcome. Uh, my name is Andy, as we said. Um, this is pretty new for me. Uh, up until June, uh, I had spent the last 15 years of my life in uh, sales and retail. That was the, uh, the world that I knew. And uh, for 11 of it, I was, I was managing stores uh, over five different states. Um, that, was the, that was the life that I lived. And uh, people would ask me a, a question fairly often was, was how, do you, how do you build a successful store? Uh, how do you build a great team? Uh, because, because retaining and, and, uh, and keeping a great team was, was just crucial to, to really any, uh, any business. And uh, the, the one thing that I would always say uh, was we have a thing. We have a thing. There's a, there's a foundation to everything that we do, uh, a way of thinking that uh, frames everything else. And so then people would go, well, what, what is it? What's this little miracle thing? 
And it was, it was one phrase, and I learned it from my boss, who learned it from his boss. It was help the people. That was it. Help the people. My guys would be coming in, tired, sometimes hungover, from the night before, and you're standing at the front door. Hey, guys, are you ready? Come on, let's get inside. Let's get woken up. We got to help the people. Halfway through the day, some customer's giving you a hard time. You barge into the office. This guy, he's, he's being so mean and hurt my feelings. And it's like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to help the people. Okay, let's go. Let's go help the people. It framed everything. Anything that happened, you came in and, and life's falling apart and you come to me, I don't know that I can do this today, man. I don't, I don't know if I can be here. And I was like, okay, what's, what's going on? And I tell you all the worries, all the sorrows, all the, all the pain, whatever's happening. Like, okay, can we put that aside and can we help the people? I go, yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can help the people. Yeah, no problem. Paul had a similar thing. It wasn't help the people, it, but it was, it was better. Uh, Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and uh, the church, they had forgotten some things. They had forgotten the thing. And so what Paul does is he writes this letter to remind them of what the thing is. So here's the issue is Paul leaves, other church leaders start to come in, high-profile church leaders, and they start to segment themselves off. So you got a team of people over here, and they're like, Paul, he's our guy. He's so humble and nice, and but he knows the word. It's awesome. And you got this other group of people, and they're like, Apollos. No, didn't you read in Acts 18? This guy's awesome. He's like big, loud, tall speaker. This guy's so cool. And you got another group of people who are like, no, nah, Peter, he walks on water with Jesus. That's the guy. And they just start separating themselves out. And the problem with the whole thing was, was that they were lifting up leaders over and above the thing. So let's take a look real quick. We're just going to fly through to get to chapter 4 in Corinthians, and we'll see the thing. So all this stuff, Paul greets them. He's so thankful for them. Hey, I'm so glad that you guys are, are followers of Jesus. Was Paul crucified for you? Oh, no. The word of the cross is folly to the world, but it's the power of God. Jews are looking for signs, signs of power. The Greeks are looking for wisdom. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 29 of, of chapter 1. So that no human being might boast, that's important to remember, in the presence of God. You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and satisfaction, uh, sanctification and redemption. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You get on into chapter 2, and he begins to talk about proclaiming this testimony, or some manuscripts say mystery of God. I decided to know nothing except for Christ and Christ crucified. 
The picture is starting to become clear, right? We impart a secret or hidden wisdom of God. Nothing that rulers could have ever known because they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Those things have been revealed by the Spirit. Verse 10. It moves on into chapter 3. So then who's Paul? Who's Apollos? They're just servants. They're just servants through whom you believed, but they're just servants. No one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Christ Jesus. So let no one boast in men. And it brings us to chapter 4. And I think there's three things that we're going to end up seeing. One is that Christians and Christian leaders are to be faithful to the message of Jesus and Jesus on the cross. We'll see that unity depends on Jesus on the cross, and Jesus on the cross is what creates leaders. And we'll see that every Christian is a leader. And that last one might sit kind of funny. It's like, oh, well, no, I follow Jesus, but I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not a leader. Well, I think we're using the wrong definition of leader. Because here's what Paul says of a leader. Verse 1 of chapter 4, as we heard earlier. This is how one should regard us, these high-profile leaders, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, which we found out earlier was Jesus and Jesus on the cross. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they would be found uh, in your, if you're using a pew Bible, it's got the word trustworthy, or if you're using a New American Standard, it'll have the word trustworthy, but it's, it's also it's the word faithfulness, um, or the word faithful. So if, if I were to make a two-point sermon, and I was going to give you my first point, the first point would be, a uh, faithful servant messenger. He's talking about this faithful servant messenger. But think about it for a second. Faithfulness. How, how tall did you have to be to ride the ride of following Jesus to begin with? Faith. Faith. And what is a leader? They're a servant. And what's the requirement? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. So, yes, there are high-profile church leaders that become famous and that people might potentially lift up over and above Jesus and Jesus on the cross, which is the entire problem that we're talking about for four chapters. One issue is that these people have segmented themselves out, and instead of agreeing on Jesus and Jesus on the cross, they have broken themselves apart vying after certain leaders that they think might be more awesome than another. But what's silly about that, I I used to collect baseball cards, what's silly about that is if you're looking at the stats, those stats, those stats, those stats, those stats cannot save you. And that's the issue. Those aren't the stats that can save you. So uh, another thing to think about here is, is, if faithfulness is the requirement for a servant leader, if it's faithfulness, then that means you don't have to be some 
ninja backflipping theologian that can spin the text in some artful way to be a, a leader in the church. You don't have to be the one that everyone comes to and you have all the, the answers, like you're some, you've got Solomon's wisdom and just people come with their problems and you're like, oh, this is what you should do. You don't have to be the one who's the giant razzmatazz, get everybody fired up to get out there and go spread the gospel to the nations. That doesn't, that's not what we're talking about. The beginning is faithfulness. From the very beginning of taking faith, it is your faithfulness that is the qualifier of being a leader inside of the church. So that can look like many different things. It can look like coming and sacrificing hours of great sleep to come and practice before a church service to help others follow along in leading uh, worship. It could be that you've dedicated time to learn how to use a slide machine to be able to put stuff up on a projector so that people can follow along with a teaching or that you would come and you would know sound so that you could help uh, the message be proclaimed. It could be that you come up before everybody else and you're standing at the front door and you're shaking hands and you're smiling really big to make sure that people know we are so glad that you are here. And if you haven't heard it yet, we are so glad that you are here. It doesn't take much, but it takes faithfulness. So, uh, check this out. This is really cool. If you look at the end, you, you just fast forward to the, to the end of his entire argument. He does this thing, which I just, it blows my mind. I just, this is such a gutsy move. It's just such a gutsy move. He says, I urge you, uh, in verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is Paul talking. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. This church is having an issue with church leaders. You would think the last thing they need is one more. But after he just expressed all of this good news of the gospel again, remember, remember, remember the gospel. It is the thing that you are lifting up. It is not church leaders. It is the gospel that you're lifting up. It's Jesus and Jesus crucified. That's what you're lifting up. Not church leaders. Okay? You got it? Okay, fantastic. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you another church leader. Are you ready? Can we handle it this time? Because he's going to remind you how to walk in faithfulness. He's the faithful one. So what can we learn one, I think we can learn that our allegiance is to Jesus. It's not to church leaders. It's not to a certain methodology. Our allegiance is to Jesus. And if anything else steps into that limelight, it is not the gospel. If anything else steps into that light, the thing that we lift up over and above everything else, if it is not Jesus and Jesus on the cross... It's not the gospel. It is Jesus who has our allegiance. Faithfulness is a requirement for Christian leaders and for Christians. We are all Christian leaders when we are Christians who are actually following 
Jesus and holding Jesus up and above everything else. Jesus says it a different way. He, he waits for everything else to be done. He's been teaching and teaching and teaching his disciples, and he's lifted up and exalted on the cross, which is his enthronement, given a crown, and he's sacrificed for the world. And then, taking up his own life again, begins to show himself to them. It's weird. Yes, that's very weird. But, but he does it. And then at the very end, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and I give it to you to do what with? To go and make disciples. To go and make disciples. If you're a disciple or, 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 if you're a, disciple or a follower of Jesus, then you are a disciple maker. And that might not be a thing that you can start today, but you can start today. It's not something that you may be, okay, I'm going to get this person right here. That's, I'm gonna, we're going to build this relationship, and we're going to do this thing, but maybe we begin to learn today. Maybe that's something that we, we realize that we yield to Jesus' words today because he asks it of all of us. It is Jesus on the cross that creates our faithfulness. We don't become faithful because we create good habits for ourselves. We become faithful because when we lift Jesus and Jesus on the cross up, it's the thing that frames everything else. When hard times come in our life and we begin to struggle, we don't turn to, well, I've got these really good habits of reading the Bible and so I'm just going to power through. When victories come and we go, yeah, this is awesome, there's one thing and one thing alone that pushes us and propels us forward. It is Jesus and Jesus on the cross. If I were to have two points, my second point would be the solution. Look at verse 4. Kill pride by speaking the gospel into your life. Kill pride by speaking the gospel into your life. Here's what verse 6 says. Uh, I have applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you would be puffed up. We heard that. We heard that in chapter 2. heard that in chapter 3. If we're going to boast, we're going to boast in the Lord instead of being in favor of one person against another. So the issue he calls out is pride itself. He calls it out three times throughout the, the four chapters. It's pride. Pride's the thing that lifts up something else over and above Jesus and Jesus on the cross. That's what it is. And Paul wants us to kill it. He wants to remove pride so that we can see clearly the gospel at all times. Because really, it's sin that's in our life that stops us from doing that. So, what, what can we learn? Well, we can learn that the, the sin of pride will kill the gospel, the very thing. The gospel that can kill sin, sin can kill it. Because when pride comes in, whatever it is that we begin to lift up, family, friends, jobs, money, success, 
that begins to destroy the gospel, even really good things, even really, really good things. Church leaders, I mean, come on. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. But if it's over and above where it creates division, it'll kill the gospel. So how's a leader like this? It's, it's Jesus and Jesus on the cross. It's learning to speak Jesus and Jesus on the cross into our life. It's learning to see through a lens of Jesus and Jesus on the cross all the time because it shapes the way that we view our world. Imagine how things might change in your life, you know? Oh, man, I get really stressed out when I drive. I'm always trying to get places fast. But I don't think Jesus lives like that. And I'm mesmerized by his grace and his mercy that he would sacrifice so much. I'm going to start leaving a little bit early so that when I'm stuck in traffic, I'm good. So that I get to where I'm going on time. In small, little, weird ways, when we begin to practice speaking the gospel into our own life, everything changes. Everything changes. The way that we view our family It just changes. Instead of lifting up and exalting a husband or a wife or the desire for a husband or a wife or the desire for children, it changes everything. Everything. I didn't think that I wanted kids. Honestly, I didn't think that I wanted kids at all. And um, uh, me and Rhonda got pregnant. And then after a while, we weren't pregnant anymore. And we had no idea what to do with that. It wrecked us. One minute, we were good just being a married couple. And had been one for a good long time. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're going to have a baby. And all of a sudden, the desire was in us. Oh, This is awesome. We want kids. This is great. (laughs) We want 300 kids. This is going to be awesome. And then it was gone just like that. I was wrecked. I was wrecked. But I actually learned this. I learned this from my wife. I learned how to speak the gospel into my life, and I started that habit because of my wife. Within a matter of hours, I'm like, in the, in the fetal position on the bed. And uh, she's over there just typing away, typing away, sends this email out to our entire church family and all of our friends. And most of our friends that aren't our church family don't know Jesus at all. <laughs> and she expresses, one, that we've lost our baby. But two, that it's Okay. Because Jesus has sacrificed so much, and he is enough. So we will pursue, and we will persist. We will move forward. And when the time is right, we will have a child. She knew that. She just knew that. Now I have three, and I'm like, please stop. But 
But at the time, it was devastating. And it wasn't just devastating for a little bit, like, oh, you lost the kid, and like, oh, now, well, here's another, oh, you're pregnant again, this is great. Six years of having to have Jesus be enough in that specific issue in our life. Six years. It was tough. It was tough, but we kept coming back to Jesus and Jesus on the cross. And our neighbors, it was, it, was, <laughs> it was so ridiculous. There was so many opportunities to spread the gospel because of it. We would be um, doing yard work in, in our neighborhood. Neighbor, if, if you had a rake in your hand and your, your neighbor saw, you better believe somebody's bringing over the leaf blower and somebody else is coming over with lawn bags. And they would go, I just don't see how you can do it. I don't see how you're just not wrecked. And we go, we're, we're pretty tore up. But you know, Jesus is enough. We, we really find our hope and our satisfaction in him. And it's not just words. We're in the middle of something tough. And that gives it potency. And it, it creates a problem. And people begin to, to be challenged. Because before, they think, oh, well, Christians, they just kind of have these kind of weird ideas and but they're really judgmental and stuck up or, you know, whatever you hear from people when they talk about what, what Christians are. But then all of a sudden when, when Jesus and Jesus on the cross is the most important thing and everything else pales in, in comparison to the majesty, the glory, and the honor of being able to exalt him in every aspect of your life, it creates problems for people. They don't know how to deal with that. So then they just begin to ask more and more questions to try and understand more and more what in the world this is. People in my store, they would just, they're like, you, you're always pretty positive, but this is ridiculous. You should be in a puddle on the floor. But Jesus was enough. We need to learn to speak the gospel into every single aspect of our life. Small things, big things, everything, we speak the gospel into it. We lift up and proclaim the name of Jesus above all things. And sometimes that seems really, really hard to do. Seems really, really weird. In those moments when it's really tough, start looking. Start looking because there's something that pride has started to lift up. And started to bring up, maybe even just slightly, above Jesus and Jesus on the cross. And it can creep in so fast, you won't even see it. And especially with really good things. Especially with really good things. Church leaders, come on. I imagine for us, one of the things could be, just slowly but surely, without anyone noticing, the one thing that's so good for us, just look around. Look how diverse we are. This is so cool that God would move in us in this way. That we would lay down our preferences of how we like a preacher to be or how we like worship to be or, or the comfort level of when it's time to go and greet other people. That it would be nice if everybody was just kind of like me and we're all kind of the same. And 
and we sacrifice and we lay all those things down. But what is so nerve-wracking is what happens if that begins to get lifted up above Jesus and Jesus on the cross. It's not a bad thing. It's an awesome thing. It is the outpouring of God's mercy and grace. But if it gets lifted up above Jesus and Jesus on the cross, then that's pride digging in. And we have to let Jesus and Jesus on the cross root it out and just rip it out of our lives. So something that's, that looks the exact same, it's the way that Jesus always talks about things from the heart. That it was your behaviors, that's really important, but it's really it's the stuff that happens on the inside The outside can look super awesome and clean, but if the inside's all messed up and dirty, that's where we need to do our work. So let Jesus and Jesus on the cross revolutionize the way that you see life, the way that you see things in general. It will change everything. It will change everything. Here in the text, we see that Christians and Christian leaders are to be faithful to the message of Jesus and Jesus on the cross. That every one of us is a leader. Every one of us is a leader. This is a call for us all. It is not a call just for those who are... It is not a question for for just some of us who, who maybe, maybe sense a call... No, you have been called. You have been called to leadership because leaders are servants. Leaders are the ones who are washing the feet of others. You are being asked not to be exalted but to be bringing yourself low so that you can see yourself in light of the goodness of the glory of the one who has saved us, who has stepped out of the heavenly realm, one who has who, who was the very words that spoke all of life into existence, and he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant so that he would be sacrificed, taking up his own life. This is good news that is worth sharing. And the more that we share it with ourselves, when we share it daily, it becomes compelling, and it propels us forward into situations that we would never see ourselves in. Beginning to have conversations we would never see ourselves having conversations with those people in that time. Maybe just people in general. Maybe we're so introverted that we just never could imagine that we would talk to another person and it be us who instigated the conversation. But Jesus begins to change things. And it becomes so compelling that we cannot help ourselves. This is what I've been praying. Praying for each one of you. Praying for myself. I've been practicing speaking the gospel into my my life on a regular basis for quite a while. And I will tell you, it is tough. If you've ever, I would would liken it to people that work out tell me what that's like, so I obviously don't know myself. But... But people that work out, this is what they say. They say, you want to quit so fast. You just want to quit so fast. That first day, that lactic acid builds up, and you're sore, and you're not feeling it. 
And then if you just happen to persist a little bit more, it's like, okay, okay, I'm going to keep going. But then I look in the mirror and I don't see any change and then that's discouraging. But I'm kind of feeling good, but, but I don't see any change in my life. But then after about three months or so, you start to notice. You step out of the shower and you're like, hey, look at that. Look at me looking all different. This is awesome. But nobody else notices. Well, then that's a little discouraging. But then if you keep persisting, six months, people start going, have you been working out? Yeah. Yeah, I have. So I hear. I don't know. But it's the same. It's the same. It's the same. You begin today practicing speaking Jesus into your own life. And when it's tough and you're like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not amazed by his goodness. I'm not amazed by it. That's when the work begins. It's when you sacrifice and you lay down pride in yourself and you go, hey, I see Jesus working in you. Can you help me with this? I'm trying to figure this, this speaking the gospel thing into my own life. Can, can you help me move forward in this way? And I'm sure that they will say, sure. I'm sure that they will. Or they'll say, you know, I'm still struggling with that too, but let's, let's work on it together. Because it's hard. It's counterintuitive. Paul says that it's, it's foolishness to the world. But it is the very wisdom and power of God. It is the very wisdom and power of God. So, every one of us is a church leader who is led by Jesus and Jesus on the cross. Our unity depends on Jesus on the cross because Jesus on the cross is what creates leaders. And when we take up the mantle of of being a leader, we take ownership over the fact that Jesus has called each one of us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. And he promises that he'll be with us always, even until the end of the age. The world will change. I mean, just do simple math. I mean, I'm looking and I'm thinking maybe 100 and 150 people here and probably each one of you knows five, ten people that don't know Jesus. I'm not asking you to go and, and do something weird that you've never done before right now this very minute. But I'm saying you should begin to entertain the idea that Jesus is calling you to speak the gospel into your own life and to speak the gospel into the lives of others. Because his goodness, it's something worth sharing. It's something worth sharing. So, it's the, it's the only thing that's worth having a meal over here. It's the only thing that's worth having a meal here for. Jesus and Jesus on the cross. So as we prepare ourselves to come to the table and to take the body of Jesus and dip it in his blood... 
and recovenant ourselves. Dig deep. Begin to look where pride has taken hold and lifted up and exalted something else over and above the glory, the majesty, the power and name of Jesus and Jesus on the cross. And come bring it and lay it down. Take a moment to try and start speaking the gospel into your own life. And take the bread and dip it in the juice and recommit yourself or recovenant yourself to Jesus this week. All we have are opportunities. All we have are opportunities. It's what we do with them that makes a difference. So music team, if you'll come. It's Jesus and Jesus on the cross that should hold our gaze. It is his powerful work that changes the way that we think, the way that we live. So come, the table is open.